We're going to finish our series today that we started, can you believe it, nine weeks ago? Nine weeks ago. A lot of you have asked if we were going to have the series available at the conclusion, and we do have it. We have it available today. Uh, if you would like to get it at our resource table, you can go online, download it uh, off our, uh, you know, to your MP3, uh, whatever you want to do, but it is available for those who would like to have it. Uh, if you're a guest today, uh, don't worry about coming at the last week of the series because it's a standalone message. All of them have been. But we've talked about, first of all, getting real. You know, I mean, if we're going to reboot, sometimes in our life, we have to just pause and get real. We've got to get authentic with ourselves. We've got to say, hey, you know, here's where I am, and maybe I, I, I need to be someplace else, or maybe I can improve where I am. And that's what this whole reboot series has been about. We've talked about things like rebooting our religion. You know, sometimes in our love for God, we, we can fall into a routine of being religious but not relational. We go through the singing, and we'll go through uh, life groups, and we'll serve in ministries, but we're, we're kind of doing things and forgetting about who we're doing things for and with. In that series, we talked about how to get closer to God. Then we talked about rebooting our lifestyles, because some of us just have too much in our lives going on. We just cram so much in here that we don't have time to enjoy life and enjoy others who has God put in our life. Then we talked about rebooting our love life, knowing that, you know, Jesus said the two greatest commandments of all the commandments were love the Lord your God and love each other. And, and we talked about how we can do that better, how we can love God better in a way that God feels loved and how we can love each other in ways that, that make us feel loved, not just saying I love you. Then the last three weeks, we kind of hit a nerve. We talked about rebooting temper. I never really intended to spend three weeks on that topic, but it resonated with so many people in our church family who kept sending me messages and talking to me and saying, man, this one, this one I really need this. This is really important. So we ended up spending three weeks on it. Now, I'm going to go one more topic. Not that we've exhausted topics that we could have gone, but, but, but that I, I think it's just time for us to, to start moving in a different direction. And so today I want to share a real important one with you. They've all been important, but this one is too. I want to talk about rebooting our finances. Now, don't get scared, okay? Just like the other ones, we're going to approach finances from the standpoint of our healthiness. Because finances can ruin our, our healthiness. It can ruin our joy. It can ruin our relationships. And so that's where we're going to kind of come from it today. And just like all the other topics... I'm sharing this with you so that we can be healthy in this area of our life, which is a very important area. I mean, anybody independently wealthy here and money is not your problem, please see me after the service. I've got some places you can share some of that. So let's look at this. You know, Americans owe a total of $1,027 trillion. That's how much Americans are in debt. 49% of American families hold credit in America. Now, what that means is that they don't pay their credit card off every week. They hold credit. Their balances just keep going and going and going. And for so many Americans, it's not just one credit card. It's two, three, four, five, six, you name it. And they hold credit. It just keeps going month after month after month without getting paid off. Average household credit card in 2018 was 6000 $929, almost $7,000, was the average. 
I know some of you are thinking, man, I got that on my visa, you know? It's an average. The average American will pay $1,183 in credit card interest this year. That's like $100 a month. And you say, well, you know, my visa, I don't pay that much. Yeah, but your visa and your MasterCard and your Discover card and your, your Macy card and your JCPenney card, they all add up. See, all this interest adds up. One in 100 American households will declare bankruptcy this year. You believe that? Now, now couples, get this. Money causes 21% of all divorces. That's not a real stretch, right? Because, I mean, married couples, what, what, what do we bump heads a lot about? We bump a lot of heads about money, about who's spending it and how it's being spent and, 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 and whose money is this and whose money is that, right? There's a lot of that goes on in relationship. And some say, well, you know what? I just can't take their irresponsibility. I'm going to divorce them. Well, 59% say going through a divorce got them in worse debt than they were before the divorce. So that's not the answer for many reasons, but that's one of them. So for some of us, maybe we want to reboot this area of life. We got to get a little bit more control in this area of our life. So, so how do we do that? Well, we kind of end where we started this whole thing. First thing we got to do is we got to wise up. We just got to wise up. We, we got to take a reality check. Second Timothy 6.10 says this, for the love of money is the root of all evil. How many have heard that phrase before? Oh, absolutely. We've heard that. In fact, even people who are non-church people use that phrase all the time. They don't know it's a biblical standard, but they say, oh yeah, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, yeah, that's what God inspired Paul to write to Timothy. It says, people, some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, money is, can be evil. Now, it's not evil intrinsically. It can be evil in the way we use it, in the way we manage it. And, and, and we pierce ourselves with all kinds of grief. How many agree that financial stress is really, really bad stress, right? It really is. It's, it just robs our joy and saps our energy. And see, and it's, for some people, it's that they want more and more and more. They want more money and more money in their pursuit of money. They wander away from the faith because they're more worried about making money than they are having a relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. But for others, I, I, I don't think it's as intentional. I think it's not a, that, that they want a mass of fortune. It's just that they're so far in debt that they've got to work two jobs, three jobs, to even keep their head above water, and there's no time left for God, or there's no energy left. By the time Sunday comes around, it's like, man, I just got to sleep, right? Now, let me show you some deadly signs of financial bondage. How do I know if this is an area I need to reboot? Well, here's some cues. Are your finances causing conflicts in your relationships? Not just periodically, but is this an ongoing kind of, of area that you're bumping heads in your relationships, either with your spouse or with your family, with your kids, with your friends? Because sometimes when we have financial stress, we're not even getting along with our friends. Are you placing normal daily expenditures on credit cards? Now, I'm not talking about those who, like I do, I put as much on my credit card as I possibly can every month to get points. I have a capital one, you know, travel points, two for every dollar. But I pay it off at the end of every month. I pay the thing off completely. We're talking about 
paying for normal things like food and stuff, and it just keeps mounting up on our credit cards because we never pay it off. Do you put off paying a bill from one month to another? Were we playing like, you know, the shell game with our bills? Oh, you know, this month I haven't paid Visa, I'll pay Visa, and then the next month I'll get over here to pennies, and oh, I gotta pay that bill, I'll pay that the next month, and we just kinda keep shuffling that stuff around, you know? That's, that's not a healthy sign. Do you take cash advances on a credit card to pay other bills? You know, man, I, I got this bill, I don't have, my pennies are sending me all these nasty letters, and I'm getting phone calls, I, I'll, I'll, I'll get a cash advance from my MasterCard and pay my penny, minimum payment. See, that's what they're talking about. Are you unaware of how much you owe? Do you even not know? Sometimes we're like ostriches and we put our head in the, in the sand. You know, we don't want, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I know it's bad, but I don't want to know. Well, that's not going to get us anywhere. Are you frequently paying minimum payments or over limit fees or late charges? Is that frequently happening? Is that what you're doing? Do you find it difficult or impossible to tithe to the Lord or even give offerings because you're so overextended financially. All of these are danger signs that finances in your life are out of control. They are controlling you. You are not controlling them. Stop the pain. See, that's, that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Some people, they pierce themselves with many griefs because of the mismanagement of, of money, of things, of material things. All right, so we got to wise up. Now, what are we going to do? How are we going to do that? What practically can I do to start getting control back? All right, the first thing is I need to build a budget. I need to bu- build a budget. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4 says, By wisdom a house is built. And through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. In other words, what Solomon, in this case, who's writing this, this, this proverb says, is that healthy financial homes just don't happen. People who can actually afford some of these rare and beautiful treasures can afford them because they have managed well their finances. And they have positioned themselves where they're not getting those rare and wonderful treasures on credit and extending their financial chaos, but because of wisdom and understanding. They've learned how to do a better job with their finances and and, and stop the pain that they're in. 15% of Americans, statistics tell us, are living beyond their means. And many on a monthly basis are even spending more money than they're making. How many agree that's probably not a workable solution for life? Now how are they spending more money than they're making? How is that possible? Two words. We just talked about them. Credit cards, right? Credit cards. 
Dave Ramsey, who founded Financial Peace University, says personal finance, or personal management, is 20% head knowledge, knowing what to do, and 80% behavior. So first, you've you got to understand what to do, but then that, that's the 20% thing. 80% of it then is having the perseverance and the self-discipline to enact the things that help us to get our financial lives healthy. So, so if I make a budget, what are some of the benefits? Well, one is it lets you control your money instead of your money controlling you. Now, I practice what I preach on this. I, I've learned to do this, and I know the value of having a budget. I have a very detailed budget that I follow every single month. See, it'll tell you whether you're living within your means or not. Now, because I have a budget, and I, I could readily, today, in an instant, I could produce for you actual documentation of where I've spent every penny that I've earned over the last three years. I, I, I could pull it out in a second. See, and oftentimes, I'm going through it, and I'm going, what? We spent $500 going out to eat? We spent $150 at Starbucks? I played how much golf? See, because I'm not just spending it. I'm tracking it. I'm tracking it. I know where it's going. It reveals where you're spending too much, see? It'll tell us, hey, you know, I'm, I'm way out of control over here. I, I've got to pull this back. It helps your entire families focus on common goals. This is something you can bring your whole family in. If you have older children or teenagers or, or college-age uh, kids and stuff, this is something you should sit down as a family and do a budget and say, hey, look, if we, if we manage our money correctly and we don't, we don't get in trouble, here are some wonderful opportunities that we can avail ourselves of. But you've got to have a budget. You've got to track it. I've, I've got a, a, an itemized budget. I, I put after my tithe, my tithe comes out first, and my missions offering comes out first. And then I have what's left after that, and then I list my, my, my bills, my mortgage, you know, my FPL. You know, I, I budget a certain amount of money for FPL every month. Now, during the times when we've had this nice cool weather, I never make that budget figure, so I, I add it to my miscellaneous column. Man, that's exciting. <laughs> Another round of golf. But then, you know, I list everything, my gasoline. I have an amount of money that we have in our grocery budget. I, I put it all down there, and this is what that we have to spend. And those are my fixed expenses. And then whatever is left after that, I put in a miscellaneous column. I put it in a whole different column, and I track how we spend every penny of that. See, it helps us to stay in control and to manage our money and not let our, manage, our money manage us and our relationship. It'll improve your leadership. You know, guys, this is an area, you know, we, we talked about it last week, how for men, respect is more important than love. This is a way to gain respect in your home, of your spouse. And single moms and dads, it's the same thing with your family. And if nothing else, it is a way to really enhance your self-respect. Because you say, you know what? I've got this, I'm under control. I'm taking charge in my life. Again, it's with wisdom. It's with understanding. 
that healthy financial households are established. Got to build a budget. Next, power down your debt. Power down that debt. Romans 13, 7 says this. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. In other words, here's a biblical principle that we need, we need to keep in mind. We need to be ethical in our financial management. We need to be godly. This is an important part of our reputation. This is an important part of us representing the kingdom and, and God. This, this is, is being looked at in our credit report, and this is being looked at by creditors as being honest and faithful. God says, if you owe it, if you bought it, pay it. Now, look at this. The average American carried, if they carried a $7,000 balance in a credit card, and we said the average American is 6,962, so it's right at 7,000. With a 2% payment every month, now, 2% of 7,000 would be $140. So you're paying $140 a month. At 13% interest rate on the credit card, it would take 30 years to pay off that debt and include about $13,000 in interest. You would pay double the interest that you actually had on the credit card. And most of us aren't paying 2%. Most of us are paying the minimum balance, which is like usually less than 1%. Do the math. Got to list your debts. That's how you start. List them so you know what they are. It's not just, yeah, I know I got, you know, I got some, I owe some money. List what it is and what the amount is. Then what you want to do is you want to target your smallest balance first. Pay as much extra on that balance as you can. And wherever you can get scrape up a little bit more money, in addition with the minimum payment that's due, pay extra. Pay the other ones a minimum payment, Pay that one down. Then, when you get that one paid off, target the next smallest balance. Take what you were paying for the other thing and paying that down, the minimum payment plus the extra you were doing. Now, add that to the minimum payment and the, and the extra you're going to pay on the next smallest balance. When that one's paid off, then you take the money from paying the first one and the money Added paying the second one, now you combine them and pay the third one, see? And that's how you power down your debt. Dave Ramsey again says this, why do we pick the smallest one first and then work bottom up? It's because you need some quick wins in order to stay pumped up. See, when, when you start knocking off some of those smaller debts and you don't have them anymore, you get pumped, you get excited, you say, hey, man, I can do this, I can get out of debt. And knocking those small ones off. If you start with the big one, you get discouraged. But you start with the small one, and you get some victories there, and you knock those off. And then you go to the next one, and you combine your, your, your forces, and you battle that next one, and you combine your forces and battle. You can power down your debt in a shorter amount than you would believe. Listen, debt is a thief. It robs your joy. It robs your peace. It robs your relationships. It robs your integrity. Take back your life. Starts by building a budget and empowering down our debts. Next, save and invest. Particularly 
When you've successfully powered down your debts, now take some of that money. Instead of saying, wow, man, I have all this money now. I can go out and buy stuff with it. No, save and invest that money. Proverbs 13, 11 says this, dishonest money dwindles away. Now, we know that. But I would also say, so say mismanaged money dwindles away. But look what it says. But he who gathers money, read it with me. Little by little makes it grow. He who gathers little by little makes it grow. See, it's a biblical foundation on healthy spiritual financial management. Now, now think about this story. So we're going to take Amy. And she's 22 years old. She's right out of college, got her first job. And she's socking away $300 a month for six years in an account that, that, that yields 10%. I'm just using 10% as, a, as an easy number to deal with. So she's 22, gets out of college. She's not married. She's not tied down. She's making some good money now. And so she's putting away $300. She does that for six years. Now, after six years, she's 28 years old now. She starts a family, and she decides she wants to stay home with her children. She doesn't want to work anymore, as, as m many moms do. Now, so far, over those six years, at $300 a month, plus the interest she's accrued, she has earned $21,600. That's her money. That's her investment, her savings, and the interest that it's buried her. Now, even if she doesn't contribute another cent ever, she never goes back to work, and she lets that money ride, she doesn't take it out, her money would grow to a million dollars by the time she's 65. Isn't that amazing? Now, compare Jason. Now, Jason, he's still, still a responsible young man, but he waits nine more years. He waits till he's 31 years old. And now, he is going to contribute the same $300 per month, but he's gonna have to do that for the next 34 years to earn the $1 million by the time he's 65 years old. So Amy's total investment was $21,600 that she initially put away in those early years. Jason's investment would be $126,000 over 24 years. Amy's $21,600 over six years. Her money had time to grow or compound. That's what Proverbs says. He who gathers money little by little makes it grow. See, we get into the parables of Jesus when he's talking about good stewardship for the master. And he gave five talents to one. You know, that's money in that day. And the one made five, invested it, and got five back. Another had four and got four back or three back. And the other one hit it in the ground, see? And Jesus, you know, condemned him in the parable for not being financially prudent. Again, he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Next, get God working with you. Get God working with you. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord. Now, we all want to honor the Lord. That, that, that's one of the reasons you're here. Even though it's time change Sunday and you're probably a little bit tired today, you, you made the effort to come because you wanted to honor the Lord. And in our singing, boy, I was listening to you and you were honoring the Lord. And now you're listening to, to things from the Bible and you're honoring the Lord by listening to, to what his word says. 
Well, Scripture says that another important way that we honor the Lord is with our wealth. With the first fruit of our crop, not the leftover. Remember I told you when I made my budget? My tithe came out first. My missions giving came out second. Right off the top, I don't, I don't even see. And then what's left is what I budget on. I don't negotiate with the tithe. Well, maybe I won't tithe this month because I've got this expense. No, that's the Lord's. Now, I want to I show you how our relationship with God can be impacted by finances. Now, now I've used this before, and I'm going to use it now because I think it's one of the most illustrative accounts in the Bible that that give us a a window into how God looks at our relationship financially. Now, I've got to set some some historical background. How many love history? Say, love it. How many hate history? All right, well, tolerate me for for a minute. Okay, Haggai is what we refer to as a minor Old Testament prophet. Now, it's not minor in the message that he has, but his Old Testament manuscript is, is a very short manuscript, and there's a series of those that are very short. Then there's ones like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel that are really big manuscripts. So he's minor in that. So let me give you a historical background before we look at this. In 586 B.C., by that time, Israel had really turned away from God. And they, they weren't honoring God. They were chasing false gods, and they were into all kinds of, kinds of horrible things. And so God brought judgment on them as a nation through the person of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. So in 586, Nebuchadnezzar, after a long siege of several years, finally breaks through the north wall of Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, and he massacres people. And he tears down the temple of God. And he destroys the city, and those who are fortunate enough to survive get carted off in exile to Babylon. Now, God told Old Testament prophets that this was going to happen, told Jeremiah, told Isaiah. He said this was going to happen in his response to judging the people for their unfaithfulness. But he said it's only going to last 70 years, and then after 70 years, God told the prophets, I'm going to return my favor on, on, on Israel, on Jerusalem. So Nebuchadnezzar gets, he dies, and his grandson, Belshazzar, Belteshar, uh, is overthrown by the Persians. Babylonia is, capped, is conquered by the Persians. And so in 559 BC, Cyrus the Great, the, the king of Persia, makes a declaration that some of the people can leave Persia now, Babylon, old Babylon, and go back and start rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. That's the story of Nehemiah in your Bible, if you've heard that story about building the wall around the city of Jerusalem. Then again, in 521 BC, now Cyrus the Greatest died, and his successor Darius I is now the king. And Darius comes out one day and makes this proclamation that God had told him to build a temple for God in Jerusalem. So Darius completely finances another remnant of the people who were captive in in old Babylon, now, now part of the Persian Empire, to go back to Jerusalem that has now kind of been rebuilt by Nehemiah and his group years earlier, and now to build the temple of God, Jehovah, again. 
so that the Jewish people could once again worship Jehovah in the way that was prescribed to them. So Ezra leads a whole group of people back there to do that, and they start rebuilding the temple of God. But then something happens, and that's where Haggai picks up. Chapter 1, verse 3. It says, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is time for, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a room? Okay, God is upset. And God's saying to these people, he's saying, what's going on down there? He said, I'm not seeing the temple getting built here. But I'm seeing you build some pretty nice houses. That's, that's the whole panel thing, you know, it wasn't just some mud huts. I mean, these were some pretty nice living quarters, you know, paneled and, uh, you know, whatever the, the luxuries of the day were. See, they were using their time, their energy, and the finances that Darius had given them to rebuild the temple to build their own homes. goes on. Verse 5. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, Haggai, you tell these folks what, 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 this. He says, Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Anybody identify with that? Huh? I do. Man, do I. I remember times in my life when, man, I was working on getting out of debt and getting things straight, and finally I... After a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, I get there, and all of a sudden, boom, the car goes. Oh, man, i got to have car payments again. And then, boom, the washer and dryer go. You know, oh, someone gets sick, you know. You ever have that? Well, see, sometimes we think that's coincidental. But in their case, it wasn't coincidental. Goes on to say, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. Now look what, look, look what God tells Haggai to tell the people. What you brought home, read it with me, I blew away. What you brought home, I blew it away. Why would you do that, God? Goes on to say, why, declares the Lord God Almighty? Because of my house, which, means, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. My house that is supposed to be built so that the nation can rally again as a nation, so that my blessing can be on thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish people, is being obstructed by your financial mismanagement. That's what God's saying. You ever, you ever had that happen? You feel like, man, I just got paid. Where's my money? All right? It's like, yeah, man, what, do I have a hole in my pocket? You know, what's going on? You know? Now, how, how do you get God working with you? How do you turn this around? Quickly, be content. So much of our fi financial stress that we bring on ourselves is because we're just not content with what we already have, and we already have so much. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In other words, God has said, listen, I'm going to make sure that you have what you need. If you are faithful to me, if you are building my house, I'll take care of you. You put me first. You honor me with your wealth and I'll take care of the rest. Trust God. Now to do that takes a lot of trust of God. 
1 Timothy 6, 17 says, command those who are rich in this world, now let me stop there and just remind you as I have many other times, that in talking about this passage, you know, we here in America, when we read that first line, we're thinking of Bill Gates and we're thinking of Tiger Woods and we're thinking of Ophir Winfrey. We're, th- we're thinking of all these people who are billionaires. But God is looking globally. And when you bring this idea into a global perspective, every one of us who live in America are rich compared to most of the world. That's why so many people are trying to get here. They want the American dream that we've turned into the American nightmare, right? So he says, command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, I love this next line, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now first God says, I'll make sure you've got what you need and then God says, and you know what? I'll even up the ante. If you are faithful to me and my house and my purpose of winning people around the world to the cause of Christ, I'm not going to give you what you need. I'm going I'm to give you some, some extras. I'm going to give you some rare treasures to put in your house. Malachi 3.10, right back. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. And see, if I won't pour out so much blessing, you can't even hold it. That takes trust. Malachi 3.11 says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. They were an agricultural kind of culture back then. And they depended on their harvest to be able to live and have houses and clothes and food and stuff like that. And so he said, I'm not always just going to pour money into your lap, but I'm going to prevent things that will cost money from happening. Now, in today's vernacular, if this was our day, he says, I'll keep your car running for a couple more years. I'll keep your washer and dryer keep, keep going. I know it's old. And you've, you've expected it to go, but it's not going because I'm keeping it going for you. See, that's what he's saying. Be charitable. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. That means whoever doesn't care for other people who are less privileged insults his maker. And the word is capitalized because it means God. Insults God. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. Luke 12, 22, Jesus says, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old like in Haggai, right? With treasures in heaven that that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. See, that's being charitable. 1 John 3, 17 and 18, if anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Is that the way God operates? No, and that's not the way he wants his family to operate. He wants us to be generous. He says, dear children, let us not just love with words or tongue, but with action and deeds. Man, you lost your job. You don't have any groceries. You don't have any diapers for your baby. Man, I am so sorry to hear that. I'm going to pray for you. All right? Reboot your finances. Wise up, build a budget, power down your debts, save, invest, get God working with you, and be charitable. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money, read it with me, never never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. 
is never satisfied, Solomon says, this too is meaningless. Solomon is one of the most wealthy, famous, powerful monarchs on planet Earth. And at the end of his life, he's reflecting back in the book of Ecclesiastes in his very first words, after a life of indulgence, a life of power, a life of fame is meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. See, because he's invested his life in the wrong places. And that's what he's saying to us. Chase money, you're never going to find enough money. Stuff stuff in your closet and stuff stuff in your, in your, in your garage, you're never going to stuff enough because there's brilliant marketers out there constantly convincing you you need this next item. See, let's reboot our finances. Some may need help with that. And we have a wonderful program. We have Financial Peace University offered right here at the bridge. And you can go back to Next Steps and find out about it and find out when it starts up again. And I, I'm not sure, because Pastor Bob runs this, I'm not sure whether you can jump in the middle of it or not. I, I, I don't know. But what I do know is we're hearing some amazing stories coming out of people who have gone to Financial Peace University. My son and daughter-in-law, are one of them, they don't come here, but they went to it at their church. And they got excited about powering down their debt. And it changed their relationship, and it changed their lives. Reboot. Well, I hope the series has been helpful. Again, if, if, if you want it, you can, you can get it at the resource table or you can go online and download it, listen to it online. But all of us have areas that we just need to hit the button. I know I have through this series. You, you think I've been teaching you? <laughs> you know what they say about pointing your finger at somebody? Three are pointing back at you? Four, four. Thumbs point? I don't know. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. And God, thank you that you care enough about us to teach us how to handle every area of our life, not just our relationship with you. Lord, help us to take this series, whatever, wherever you impressed upon us, to, to hit that button. And, and, and let's persevere in that. God, help us to be courageous and bold and filled with perseverance so that we can live the kind of life Jesus, you died at the cross to let us live. We give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen.